How's it going, Hoop Heads? This is Lance Robertson, the founder of the Culture Surfing Podcast. I'm back with another episode of the official relaunch under the Blue Wire Hustle program. I got a special guest. Uh, me and this gentleman have I've talked uh, in uh, the recent past, and he was, uh, you know, I inquired about him being on the show, and he and he pretty much reciprocated the same love, and it was just a matter of time, and I finally got this gentleman here. We're going to talk about his new book, From Hang Time to Prime Time. Okay, this goes into the stuff about how my grandpa used to tell me how the game was, you know, like the NBA finals were pre-recorded and they weren't live. Like, imagine that. Imagine the NBA nowadays not being live. Like, that's where all the action is at. Uh, but yes, uh, this guy also wrote for uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, and he's also done, um, <clears throat> pardon me, GQ. And right now he's writing for Men's Journal. Uh, everybody, give it up for Pete Corrado. How's it going, Pete? Good, Lance. How are you? Thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, man. I'm doing lovely, man. I, I'll be honest, man. I was very surprised that you even wanted to be on this podcast. Don't get me wrong. I've had a lot of cool writers and podcasters, <laughs> but never a guy that wrote a book. Okay, my grandmother would be proud. So. <laughs> no, I look. I am the one nice thing about about um, about having a book out and, and doing these interviews is just chatting with 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 fellow NBA fans and diehards and, and history buffs. Like it's, it, this has been a thrill. So anytime anybody wants to have me on to talk about the book and the stuff that's in the book or even stuff that's even NBA stuff that is outside what's in the books, uh, uh, coverage area. I mean, this, this stuff is, this is the, this is the cherry on the Sunday. So I'm thrilled to be here. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that I'm the first book author you've had. I'm, but I'm I'm thrilled I'm thrilled to be the first, and I hope this goes. Uh, hope this doesn't go terribly. So, <laughs> well, for the audience that doesn't know, we we spent like an hour just like flowing. So let's just hope <laughs> it uh, translates to this. Oh, uh, it will. We'll be we'll be fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to say before we get on in uh, into the rundown. I mean, I've yeah. read plenty of basketball books like you mentioned uh pre-recording about the jackie mcmullen uh larry bird book mm -hmm. uh obviously the book of basketball by bill simmons i think most basketball fans like hardcore ones have read that at mm -hmm. some point in their life but with this uh from hang time to prime time it's different uh it actually goes into a more technical uh business aspect rather than what's going on like on the court it's more so like behind the scenes mm -hmm. like uh i honestly i'm not done with the book but I, i'm I'm in there enough to kind of get an idea of what it's about. And I learned a lot about uh, Larry O'Brien. I mean, okay. for the longest, I just thought he was the name of the trophy. I didn't, I knew he was the person before David Stern, but that's all I knew. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about the JFK stuff and, mm -hmm. and honestly how you, how he's portrayed in the book. He seems like he's kind of a Don of the NBA. Like he, he sounded like he was a very prestigious and that's how he carried himself. And like, he was, I don't want to say King, but like, like basketball royalty or business royalty mm -hmm. uh do you think that's a fair assessment of what yeah. i what i'm gathering absolutely i mean i, I he, it's so funny now because when you when someone is named the commissioner of any major sport that's that's a career pinnacle like you know if if it's a, it's the unquestionable pinnacle of of your career at the time the nba was a step down for Lyle o'brien I mean, it was, I mean, it was not something that he was, he had to be cajoled and practically dragged into, um, in, into that, into, um, uh, the commissioner position. So, yeah, I mean, that's an absolutely a fair assessment. I mean, he was somebody who was a, I mean, he, 
he was a, I mean, as Pat Williams, the GM of the 76ers, told me, he was a big deal. Like, getting Larry O'Brien was a big deal for the NBA because, you know, you know again, things move so fast now. But back in the 60s and 1970s, Larry O'Brien was a major player in Democratic national politics. He was the chairman of the DNC, of the Democratic National Committee for two terms. He was the postmaster general under Lyndon B. Johnson. As you mentioned before, he was part of JFK's inner circle, so much so that he was on the cover of Time magazine. So, like, that is that was real power. And the NBA didn't really have anybody before Larry O'Brien who represented that. They had... Um, you know, uh, uh, Morris Podoloff, Poodles, the first M- the first NBA president, uh, who was you know just uh, by all accounts just sort of a, a guy who was hanging around, and then after him was was um, Jay Walter Kennedy, who helped the NBA get to the next level. But he was beleaguered, and he was somebody who wasn't who didn't have Larry Larry O'Brien's gravita- gravitas. So when Larry O'Brien is named the NBA commissioner in 1985, I mean it's a big, it's a huge upgrade. But what it, but it does two things. First, it gives the NBA a, a, a nice dose of legitimacy, which it desperately needed at that time. And the second thing is that Larry O'Brien hires full time a young lawyer named David Stern, and David Stern becomes Larry O'Brien's right hand man. And as you know, David, you know, the rest is history. David Stern becomes probably, probably, um, in, in my opinion. Um, the most influential and best commissioner in pro sports history. Yeah. For all his gray areas. And I mean, there are some parts where of David Stern that I don't like. I'm so I'm a Mavericks guy. Obviously there was some very Mm -hmm. shady officiating stuff and that's not just for the (laughs) Mavericks, but throughout the NBA history, the Sacramento Mm -hmm. Kings with the Lakers, all that. And I think the NBA has since tried to clean it up with the two minute reports, even though, those don't really do anything but infuriate fans. But like that is the one thing to Stern, at least in my eyes. Obviously, you could say the uh, the dress code kind of too. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of half and half on that because uh, I still see it as a business. But at the same time, they're playing basketball. It's not like they're going yeah. to you know. So I'm kind of half and half on that. Uh, but no, overall, David Stern, what he did to like internationalize the game, for lack of a better of a word, mm-hmm. you know, get the word out there. Make it make it a business. Make it really, really profitable so guys like Shaq can complain about Rudy Gobert getting like a supermax contract and you know, like but that's but that's we're there because of David Stern. I don't want to say just got us there, but because Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird obviously had a say so on that, and even Dr. J mm-hmm. to an extent. But David Stern definitely is very influential. Say what you want about him being rough around the edges or, or whatever, but I mean the NBA definitely would not be where it's at without uh, David Stern. But no, absolutely. Larry O'Brien definitely, like you said, legitimized the NBA and gave it a business feel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, it desperately, yeah, Larry, I mean, that's, I think Larry O'Brien is probably the most overlooked um, person in the NBA's history. And again, it's because, you know, he was not somebody who was, he didn't have David Stern's um, uh, resume. You know, if you look at David Stern, what he did for his 30 years as commissioner, it's staggering. And yeah, he had a, a number of missteps. The dress code is probably chief among them. Um, but you know, he, he turned the, but David Stern, as you mentioned, just, he turned the NBA into an international business. But what Larry O'Brien did was he, he set all of those wheels in motion. And, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I mean, the, the championship trophy is nice, but you know, in, in talking to people who were close to that with Larry O'Brien, who worked with him and for him, 
you know, the NBA, he was just, he was really more of a figurehead. He was somebody who was there to kind of just maintain order and, and, and sort sort of, you know, um, be a presence. He, he was not somebody who put in the long hours and did the, did, did the, um, uh, the dirty work. That was David Stern's job. So, I mean, again, I think, I think Larry O'Brien's role in the NBA, in the NBA's history, it doesn't sound like much, but when you look at the larger picture, it's huge. And I really, I really don't think he gets enough credit for being as influential as it was, even though it's hard to, even though it's hard to think like what he did from on day to day, you know, if he, if you talk about David Stern, everyone always has a thousand David Stern stories. Like, Oh yeah, he was working on vacation. Like he never took a day off. He was first one in last one to leave. That wasn't Larry O'Brien, but I, I think un- unfortunately because there's no great Larry O'Brien NBA story, there's no like, Oh, he did this. His work ethic was slow, legendary. Larry kind of gets, gets left behind a little bit. And I think it's a little unfair. Well, and that's why what's so great about your book, like right off the bat, I'm like, well, this is not a glitz and glamour, you know, book. Like this is the nitty gritty raw details of what was going on with the ABA and the NBA and stuff that you don't really hear that much about. But uh, like with Larry O'Brien, he's an unsung hero. And I think you did a great job of, of showcasing that. Thank uh, you. So I just want to touch on that, uh, Appreciate that. before no, we I mean, get down to this. Yes. What were we going to say, yeah, Pete? No, I was going to say, I mean, the one thing about this, the one thing about this book that I wanted to do, I mean, again, you mentioned before Larry, Larry magic and Michael and Dr. J and, you know, all, all those main characters. And, they, and yeah, they're, they're truly significant. The NBA's history, you can't write the NBA's history without, without those four players. And you can't write it without David Stern. But I think what gets lost in that hoopla and, and, and it's justifiable, rightful hoopla. Like, Michael Jordan's a big deal, but there are so many p- people behind the scenes who made the NBA tick. And it wasn't just Larry O'Brien. There were just, there were dozens and dozens of men and women who helped the NBA reach, uh, reach, uh, reach its state today. So I want, I wanted to kind of give those people a little more attention and a little more play. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, that was one of the fun parts of the book was to, to, was to learn more about Larry O'Brien, but also learn and 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 uh, write more about these about these people that you know kind of steered the NBA to uh, to uh, to to uh, I guess um, more profitable sh- uh, more profitable shore. So speaking of profitable, <laughs> um, I just want to get down uh, to this question. I'm kind of going to let you on my inside of of where I started in the NBA. Speaking of yeah, profitable, yeah. 2001 NBA Finals. Yep, Iverson. You know. Mm-hmm. MVP season versus Shaq, Kobe, Derek Fisher, obviously Phil Jackson. Yeah. Uh, the step over from Iverson, you know, over Tyron Lue. Mm-hmm. That was my first experience with the NBA. Now, obviously, I played video games and stuff, but I never watched an NBA game because, I mean, when I was younger, sports was not uh, like my thing. I liked playing sports games and like watching wrestling. That's kind of, and playing video games a lot. That's kind of what I was into. Mm-hmm. But, like, that was my first real NBA game that I watched. And, like, that was when I fell in love. I was like, look at this little guy. Like, and obviously, like, I'm a little kid. So, Iverson is little. Like, he's big, but he's still little to everybody else. And the way he's just just going over everybody is bravado. Like, he's obviously not scared of the moment. Uh, that was my first NBA experience. I'm interested in yours. Okay? You're rocking a, a Montreal Expo hat, it looks like. <laughs> so yeah, it, are good. you an East Coast guy? Is that – I, yeah, I'm an East Coast guy. I grew up in I grew up in Central New Jersey, uh, about 40 minutes outside of New York City. Um, but I'm you know I'm 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 a straight up Jersey kid. 
Uh, yeah, but I, I was a baseball fan initially. I was a baseball fan for, for years. I, I played it, played Little League, and, um, you know, would play with friends outside. I mean, loved baseball. I was grew up a diehard Mets fan. Um, grew up watching This Week in Baseball and, you know, the Baseball Bunch and, and all these, you know, all just couldn't get enough of baseball. And then I think it was my first exposure to the NBA came around 1989, 1990. It came in kind of in dribs and drabs. Um, I remember the, my first introduction, my, the introduction was through videotapes. Uh, NBA Entertainment used to come out with a ton of videotapes. Um, and the one that I remember, um, let's see, I remember watching and loving was dazzling dunks and basketball bloopers i was at, i was at a we were i was at a family friend's house and there was a birthday party and i was bored out of my skull and they had you know we were given the tape to watch i just was like wow this is great like look at all look how it was just it was just it was it was that was that was such a like my that was my gateway drug so to speak to the nba was 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 that video and then i think uh super slams the nba and then you know i got you know, I, I think that kind of piqued my curiosity. So I began watching. That's also right around the time that NBC started the show um, NBA, and that was in the and the and the NBA was just amazing. I'm sorry, NBC was amazing at turning those games into just these gladiator events. You know, Stockton and Malone versus Pippen and Jordan. So if you're 13, it's you, that gets your attention. So I started watching, you know, watching those NBA games, and then. I got into NBA Inside Stuff. That was the more, there was a, for listeners who are too young to remember, NBA used to have a kid show on Saturdays that would air before the games over the weekend or on Saturday. Ahmad Rashad, is that the one? Ahmad Rashad and Willow Bay. And they were, it was, it was was geared toward kids. It It was all highlights and player profiles and, you know, bloopers. I mean, and that was manna. For a kid like me who was just getting into the NBA, and then you know, growing up in New York, you know, is I'm sorry, in New, New Jersey, pardon me, you know, the Nets were kind of on the radar, but it was it was Knicks territory. So like I, you know, we 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 got MSG Network at home, so I began watching Nick games, you know, with John Andres and Marv Albert doing the calls, and that like, and that's also when that team was getting really good. You had Patrick Ewing and John Starks, and um, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, Oak Charles Oakley. So like it was sort of a culmination of things like that just kind of got me into, into 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 the NBA. I mean, and and then also I was a tall kid, so I began playing, and it just it all kind of fed everything. Kind of fed into each other. It was like it was a it was a like a perfect a perfect union. Yeah, uh, yeah. You go back to the Knicks teams, and um, at that point, was Bernard King still playing, or was he already <laughs> done? No. Bernard was Bernard was actually was actually winding down. He was he was with the Bullets. Okay, for a couple of years, and it was with the Nets. Okay, um, his last year. So yeah, that was um, so those Knicks teams. Yeah, that was so I began watching steadily ninety one ninety two. So that ninety one ninety two team had Mark Jackson, mm-hmm. had Greg Anthony, who had the ugliest jump shot I've ever seen. Um, Xavier McDaniel was sort of was brought in to kind of be that rough and tumble presence. And uh, who else was on that team? I'm trying to think, Anthony Mason. Anthony was, Mason, was, rest in peace. Yeah, yep. it was a really good team, and the, and, the, and that's also when the rivalry with the Bulls started to ramp up. So, like that was that was the year that the Knicks 
made it to the, made it to the semifinals in the Eastern Conference, and they took Chicago to seven games. Right. Um, and that was also Pat Riley's first year. If the '80s was the golden era, the '90s just has to be the Jordan era. I mean, yeah, that's what eyes. it was too. Like Jordan <laughs> was everywhere. Like that, and that, yeah. that was the thing. If you were a kid who liked basketball back then, like you could not escape Michael Jordan. It's like LeBron James now. Like you just, he is just he is, he is that he's you know MJ was the center of that universe, and you know, and that was hard for me because I you know as a diehard Knicks Knicks fan, every spring, Jordan would come in with Pippen and and. Ron Harper and, and Bill Cartwright and just, you know, just like dash my dreams of a, of, of a deep playoff run. Like for the years that happened. So I grew up, I grew up presenting MJ quite a bit. So, well, at least they got beat by Jordan and then they, they went on to win the championship. Unlike the Mavs got beat by golden state, you know, by eighth seed. And then uh, I know that's, so, that's, that's okay, rough. man. You, you got to pick your moments. Um, now, look, at least you got to see a championship. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was a Knicks fan until about 2012 when um, the team got, wouldn't resign Jeremy Lin. I, I just, I thought that was just ridiculous. So, um, so I, I stopped being a Knicks fan after that. So I have not, I didn't get a chance to witness uh, a championship. At least you got to witness that. And this like, is true. So like, I, I'm, I am, I am, devo- I am uh, lacking uh, that the championship that would make me whole um, as a sports fan, came close in '94, but that was just that was just that was just tragic. John, Stark. I don't know, man. Y'all got Julius Randle now. Yeah, you know what it is. I, I, my problem. Here's my problem. First of all, Julius Randle should not be wearing number three. That's Bernard King's number. That number should be in the rafters and should be that should be you know Julius. Julius Randle, he's a solid player. The other problem I have with this is that everyone's talking about how you know um, Thibodeau's doing a great job and they're getting the team to play defense and blah blah blah. Every team he's had, they've all they've all sort of flamed out. They've all kind of worn down. They've 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 kind of they've they've kind of just you know they've they've kind of uh, sputtered. So I mean, it's great that the Knicks are doing well and they're competitive, but I I don't think I don't think this is a long term solution. Um, right. But I mean, I I could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, they they play hard. They're they're. They're fun to watch, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I. It just bothers me that Julius Randle wears number thirty. That, that to me, right. is not religious. Well, I mean, we. I don't want to get too much into it, but we already know how Dolan treats his former uh, Knicks legends. So mm-hmm. that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, smartly, smartly. <laughs> but I, I could go on for thirty minutes about the whole yeah. Oakley at the Garden debacle. But I'll. I'll oh yeah. Well, we also have the Patrick Ewing thing now, but that's oh you know, yeah. That's not, so that's still Madison Square Garden, which is. <laughs> Dolan, I mean, he controls that stuff, doesn't he? So, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, it's funny. I, I um, was talking to somebody who uh, works at MSG. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure where, where, what department they are, but like, it's, it's like, it's like a fairly executive position. And he was saying, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, you, you don't know the half of it. It's just, it's, it's, it's completely insane over here. Um, and that's, that's the other thing too. I, I don't know. I think teams reflect their ownership. And James Dolan is not someone who I consider to be a savvy owner. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll be surprised. I'll be surprised if they have like a three year run where they, where they make the playoffs. I'll be truly surprised, but we'll see. I mean, I've been wrong about a lot of things up to and including today. So. So unlike Patrick Ewing somehow doesn't belong in uh, Madison square garden 
when did you realize you belonged in, you know, NBA journalism world? Like what, like, like, was it like, how early on was it? Am I, am I in the NBA journalism world? <laughs> oh, you have a book about the NBA. To me, you are now. Okay. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I consider myself just somebody who follows. I, I have never gone. I've, I've been writing as a, I've been a freelance writer now for, it'll be 15 years in November. And I've never gone wrong following what interests me. So I mean, I, I love NBA history. I love, I love basketball, but you know, I, I also love movies. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I love, I love books, just writing about books, reviewing them, you know, but I, I've never, but I see, I don't. So with that being said, I don't consider myself an NBA journalist or an NBA insider. I just can, I can, I consider myself someone who loves basketball, loves NBA history and got a chance to write about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's funny though. Like, you know, there's all this talk of NBA Twitter and, you know, there's, then you, you have sort of this lineup of who's there and, and, you know, they're there for different reasons. And I, I'm not in that click, I don't think. And that's, and I have no problem with that because I, because I, I am so, I feel really lucky that I get to follow, I get to write about things that I, I deeply care about and that deeply interest me. So yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm in the middle of doing of of writing another proposal for 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 the for a second book or trying to write a proposal, and I'm talking about ideas with my with my agent, and like half of the ideas weren't about basketball; they're about topics that interested me and that I wanted to know more about. And and you know, one was a biography of John Candy, the late actor that got scrapped. Oh, that's too piece. much. There was there was a, there were projects happening that was going to make it hard to write. And the other one, the other one is about sports, but it's not about, not about basketball. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have a, I have a lot of interest. I think that keeps me, that keeps me, that that's good for me. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I would hate to be, I hate, I hate for us to talk 10 years from now and for me to be burnt out on basketball. Like that would just be, I, I would hate that. And I've seen too many people who are sports writers, you know, get burnt out like they just they, like the last thing what they want to do is talk about you know about the, the game that they cover that they should love but i don't know i'm i'm so I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to avoid that and we'll see we'll see what happens i just want to again i want to i want to write about things that tickle me and interest me and that i feel haven't been written about before that i think i could do something with and i was just very lucky knock on wood that i could write this book because I'm, I'm shocked that i'm again i'm as i am I am elated to be here and grateful to be here more than anything. Cause I, I feel like I got a chance that doesn't happen too often. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be, to be in this position. And, you know, you sound inspired and you're inspiring and it's just, oh, thank you. you know, like, I, like I, like we talked before and I was just like, when I listened to the podcast, shout out to uh dunks and discourse with uh, Josh Eberle and Jabari. Um, you know, you were on there with Josh and mm-hmm. I was like, guys, this guy has history to him. And, and somehow I'm on freaking NBA Twitter all the time. You know, uh, somehow I work 40 plus hours of work and, and have a wife and family and somehow still <laughs> manage to be on NBA Twitter like a loser. But I was like, I haven't it's heard of this bad. dude. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You haven't heard of me? No, I, you know, it's, and that's the thing too. I mean, there are a lot, of, I mean, that's the thing. There are so many people 
were on Twitter, you just don't know about them. You just don't. True. I mean, and that's and that's and that's nothing about who they are. It's just we only have so much attention to in our day. We only have so much, so many hours. And again, like I don't know if I'm really part of NBA Twitter. I, I think I'm. You know, when I think of NBA Twitter, I think of guys that are. I think of men and women that are hardcore NBA Twitter. Like they're they like they're they're, they're reporters or they or they 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 devote their lives exclusively to that or their careers exclusively to exclusively to that. And that's not that's not me. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm. I don't know if I've been. I don't know. I don't know if I've been in any category of Twitter except maybe like you know, you know, bearded recluse. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, maybe that's a good thing, man. Uh, I used to be on there so much that I got into pointless arguments, and sometimes just looked like an ass out of it, you know. And and now I'm like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't respond to that to that account because maybe that's what they want me to do. So yeah, I just exactly. let it go and, now, more than and often. And that's the thing too, you know. You're right. That's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of you know like. A lot of this, you know, a lot of these things are just pure clickbait that they're people are just looking for fights like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of an example like. Um, Meet me yeah. in Temecula. What is it? Meet me in Temecula. Remember that one? <laughs> that, was, that one. You don't remember that one? No. Meet me in Temecula. What was yeah. That? So uh, there's another gentleman. I, I, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. He's pretty prevalent on uh, NBA Twitter. But yeah. he's not a Kobe fan. Rest, rest in peace of Kobe. This was obviously before he, yeah. him and his daughter and everyone else tragically passed in that mm-hmm. helicopter crash. But uh, it was like, I think it was like n- near Christmas time. And he was mm-hmm. talking mess about Kobe's game or something. And a, a crazy Kobe stand was like getting mad about it. And then the other guy, he's known to kind of be loose with his tongue with his lips on Twitter. And he just was like bashing the dude. And then finally the guy goes, he says something. And then I guess the other dude lives in uh, Temecula, which I guess is, I think it's in California. I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. So Temecula, California. And guess what happens? The dude actually takes him up on his invitation and he <laughs> drives out there. And the other dude's like, you seriously think I'm going to give you my address, man. You're crazy enough to like already come near me. Like, and that's literally what happens on Twitter sometimes. Sometimes people are just too crazy to deal with. Yeah, I Over a basketball conversation. That's the thing. Like you can still, you know, you don't have to be right all the time. That's the, like you can like you can be a Kobe Bryant fan and just enjoy be a Kobe, enjoy being a Kobe Bryant fan. You don't have to march into battle every time someone says, "Ah, you know, Kobe's just okay." Like. You can enjoy being a Kobe Bryant fan. Twitter, yeah, Twitter is bizarre because it it's it's there are some people who who think that it's a it's a duel or that it's a competition. It's not like if you know we can just talk basketball. Like you know if you if you like my if if you're a fan of this team that's fine. If you're a fan of that player that's fine. If if you're not that's okay too. Like yeah, it's pointless. Like it's yeah. What is who cares? Like I mean I'm. Look, I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan, really. I mean, he was his game was not my favorite. Um, but like if you if you like Kobe Bryant, go nuts. Like that's good for you. I'm not going to but I'm not going to but I I'm also I also don't want to piss on someone else's joy. You know what I mean? Like if someone is just like tweeting a whole bunch of like how much they like a certain player. Like why go why go onto that thread and ruin that person's day by saying like, "Oh yeah, you know, he was he or she wasn't great in the clutch or, Oh yeah, they weren't. Yeah. Just, you know, let people enjoy their stuff. It's life's too short. 
You know what's worse though? It's when you're bigging up a player, but in order to big up the player, for some reason, people think they have to downplay another player. Yeah, that's what's that's what's happening a lot right now. It's like, and I, you know, Madal's got Luca is so great, blah blah blah. But and guess what? He doesn't do this like James Harden. And I'm like, well, you didn't have to mention James Harden's name. Like you could have just said how great Luca was. But I just, yeah. it, and it's like people are, like you said, are looking for arguments and looking for confrontations online. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's also apples. It's also apples and oranges. Like they're two, like they're two different kind of players. You know, it, it's that's the thing. The one, the one thing I hate. I know how you feel about this, but like I hate this whole like, who's the goat? Is it is it is it Michael yeah. or is it LeBron? Like I don't care. Like I, you know, to me, like these arguments are. I mean, they're fun. Every once in a while, but it feels like it feels like every day when I when I'm on Twitter or, or just scrolling through like Instagram or wherever, like that argument comes up. Some variation of that argument comes up every day, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Like I because first of all, I don't care. The second part of it is is that you know let's just enjoy. Yeah. Let's enjoy the players as they are now or when they were. Like I have memories of Michael Jordan and. You know, or Patrick Ewing, and I'm happy with those memories. I'm happy with with what they brought to me as a basketball fan. I, I don't, and, you know, and I'm also able. I, I think I'm also smart enough to be able to appreciate the new generation and what they bring to the table. It doesn't have to. This whole idea that we have to defend the era, like we have to, I have to defend the '80s or I have to defend the night. It's baloney. Like we don't need that. It's the game. The game is what matters. Like the game. The game. The history of the game. And the game now is what matters. Like, you know, I'm I I I'm always to me like, you can. There's so much good that's going on now with the NBA. Like, I can turn on an NBA game, any NBA game, and find something that's going to keep my attention for for at least an hour. There there is so Very much true. talent, and and there's so much talent, and there's so much. Not, not not just on the court, but just the broadcasters are are, are are better, the camera work is better, the halftime shows are, are well, with a few exceptions, okay, getting better. <laughs> There's always something to enjoy. This is that's the thing. Like it is a joy to be able to 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 just sit and watch Steph Curry play. Like it is a joy just to see that guy dance behind the three point line launch shots from 40 feet away and they hit nothing but net it's a joy and i think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to make a point that we 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 just don't we can't we we don't we can't sit back and appreciate like what's in front of us right now like that that to me is the good stuff and uh, you know i i think we, we we lose sight of that too easily yeah, it, like it's always has to be about who's right or who's wrong. Sometimes just right. enjoy what you're seeing. Like, you know what? There's times where I'm like watching a game and I feel the need to like tweet about it, but I'm like, I'm missing out on the game when I'm trying to have an opinion. Sometimes you don't need to have an opinion, yeah. just absorb and then have an opinion after. Because you miss, you're missing exactly. out on, on what's happening in front of you when you're trying to look down and all this. And people yeah. are so quick to have an opinion first yep. rather than just digest what they're watching and then have a, a solid opinion afterwards. I well, think that's that, a big issue that, right now. No, that's, that's exactly right. And yeah, I mean, that it's, we're, we're, it's a race to be first. And, you know, I don't know. There's some people who do that really well. They're able to live tweet a game or they're able, they're able to, you know, be, be funny on the fly. And that's the thing, you know, I'm not good at that and I'm not going to try to do that. And I think 
but that but you're absolutely right it, it's twitter can be great for communal experience like if we're like if, if we can you know you can be in texas i can be in new york you know josh can be in in in, uh, in canada we can all be watching the same game tweeting about it exchanging texts we, we exchange it you know or or tweets that's fun that's a fun part of it like you can't be what you can't be with your friends this is the next best thing but the problem with that is is that you're right you you with all the back and forth, with all the texting and trying to be first, you lose the flavor of the game. You learn, you lose why you're there in the first place. And I don't know. I, I hope it gets better before it gets worse. I I think we'll be okay. So you, you're, uh, <laughs> I, I'm very curious. Cause like yeah. the direction of your book mm-hmm. and, and, and everybody, I honestly haven't read the whole thing and I, I'm, I'm getting there, but the direction <laughs> of your book of going behind the scenes and pretty much, not the birth of the NBA, but the birth of where the NBA is at today, like how big it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what inspired you to write that story? Well, I mean, to, to simply put, it's, it's a story I hadn't really read. It's a book I hadn't read. You know, I mean, that's I, I'm I'm a pretty big sports book junkie. Um, you know, behind me, there's a partial collection of, of sports books. And, you know, I, I read more than my share of basketball books, and I hadn't really read a book that covered that period of time, that covered 75 to 89, which was sort of like the the the, the wayward years of the NBA. You know, there and there look, there have been great books about the ABA. Terry Pluto uh, wrote Loose Balls, which is a great oral history of the ABA. Um, Jackie McMullen wrote, you know, as, we, as you mentioned earlier, wonderful book about you know bird and magic uh when the game was ours that's i would recommend highly to any hoops fan um you know uh uh lawrence um uh what's his name i'm looking behind here uh there yeah lawrence coppert wrote 24 seconds to shoot which is a wonderful history of the nba's old olden days like like 40s 50s into the 60s but i hadn't really read a book about how the nba got to become you know the nba and that's 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 the book I wanted to write, and and it kind of came to me. That's the first part was not reading a book, but the second part was I wrote a piece for Grantland uh, in two, what, 2013 about Marvin Gaye's national anthem at the '83 NBA All Star Game, and it, it was a piece I loved writing, and it was I loved talking to players and Laker executives and all these people who could express like how important and influential that anthem was and you know the the piece came out i i enjoyed writing it but there was so much stuff that i had left on the cutting room floor that i wanted to put somewhere and the other thing that came to my mind was in talking to people like rick welts uh you know who's now the ceo of the golden state warriors roy johnson who was um at sports illustrated for years those gentlemen and others kept saying like, this really marked sort of a halfway point. This marked a change in the NBA. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, these guys are right. Like there's that anthem to me, excuse me, is really the line between the old NBA and the new NBA, the NBA that, you know, that I, that I grew up with that your listeners are enjoying now. And I wanted to find out how the NBA got to that point with the anthem and how, and what happened after the fact, and so th- it was those two things. It was just, you know, as I said before, you know, I'm, 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 
I want to write about things that are that are entertain me and make me curious. And this is one of those things. So really, it was just kind of a series of happy accidents. I'm I'm impressed by it. Just it seems like you have a. I mean, maybe this is outdated to say, but it seems like you just have a crazy massive Rolodex somewhere because you were talking you. to some people in that book. I actually, actually have a physical Rolodex. Okay, there we go. See, uh, that's <laughs> people. People still have Rolodexes, y'all. There's still people that have Rolodexes. Okay? I, lo- I, I love. I look. I here's the thing. I I'll, I'll tell you a story. I did a story. Uh, I wrote a story for for Vice Sports a few a few years back. And one of the people I talked to was Dan Patrick. And, um, you know, I talked to Dan. I, you know, he was great. He called me on his cell phone. And, you know, I, you know, it was a great conversation. I wanted to talk to him for this book. So I was like, okay, I'll look up. I'm, I saved Dan Patrick's phone number on my phone. Gotta be, it's got to be there. I looked. Not there. So now I make it a point to write down pretty much every number and put in a Rolodex. I mean, I, I, have, a, I have an iPhone and there's stuff in there. But, like. Phone numbers that are of, of yeah. importance, they go in that Rolodex. So, you want to hear something sad, Pete? The only ahead. number that I had memorized is my grandmother's cell phone number. I don't even know my wife's number. <laughs> I literally know nine one one. I don't even know my you wife's know number. Wa- you no. don't know your wife's cell phone number? No, because I'm so used to just looking at it. I it is terrible, isn't it? It's okay. My wife doesn't know mine either, so. I, I don't feel I know my bad. wife's cell phone number. Oh, I know my wife's cell phone number. My parents' home line. I know my parents' cell phone numbers. My brother's cell phone. I think that's it. I think that's like six or seven numbers. I know my own, but yeah, it's it's bad. I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm a product of my generation, but I'm going to say I'm a I'm a product of my generation. That's all. I'm gonna say. No, I, I don't think. See, I don't think you're alone because my wife has to actually like remember what my cell phone number is and like we've been we've known each other for 13 years so like the number hasn't changed you know it's like i've had like five different phone numbers so uh like we were saying earlier you know you interviewed some very interesting people uh and i and i imagine like you got a lot from people that you just couldn't use maybe because it it might not fit the story or maybe Mm -hmm. they probably don't want that stuff to get out well for whatever reason but out of all the people that you interviewed, like who commanded the most content, like so much so that you even had to like, like take some off? Like who was that person? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I did a number of interviews with, with I, I interviewed a number of people who I talked to like several times. And, but it's funny. I think the one person who I would have loved to have used more of, but I just didn't have the room was, um, a gentleman by the name of Don Sterling, not the not the former dis- disgraced LA Clippers. Not Donald Sterling, Don Sterling, not everybody. Donald Sterling, Don Sterling, um, who was a really nice guy who worked in the NBA for a number of years, who I think is still with the Utah Jazz. He um, he, I, I'm not sure if he's still there because there was the ownership change um, a few months back. But anyway, Larry, w- I'm sorry, Larry, pardon me. Um, <laughs> Don was somebody who was just a great source and. He was one of those guys who just had a ton of stories from working like four or five years, like in NBA properties and NBA and NBA, you know, and also with the NBA with in NBA circles. And I think we spoke like four times. And he was like, "Yeah, just call me." Like after all, the first interview was like, "Yeah, call me again because I want to keep talking." And my thought was like, "All right, I'll, we'll we'll keep we'll talk as as long as we can." So, so yeah, I think we did four phone conversations, and they were all great. 
but again, like there's only so much I can put in from Don and he had some great stories. Like the, the one anecdote that he told me that I thought was great. It doesn't really, it doesn't, doesn't relate to the book in any way, but he was, but as I said, he's, he's been with the jazz for a number of years. And he said that, and Don told me that later in his career, John Stockton, when he was like, you know, the last leg of his, of his career, John Stockton would not walk stairs on game days. He would flat out refuse to take stairs. So he would take the elevator. He would, so I, I thought that was a great, great anecdote. But um, but yeah, there there are so many people that just you know, give you things that you just you just can't use because it's it's either off the record or it's um, you know, or it's just does as you said doesn't fit the flow of the book, um, you know. But but yeah, in terms of someone who was who was someone who I talked to the most, it was probably Don because he was just you know it was just he was voluminous and he wanted to talk and he was great. But it's yeah, you know. It, I couldn't. I couldn't devote all my time to, to Don's anecdotes, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, if you read the book, he's in there quite a bit. He had some, gr- okay. he had some great stories. I, I figured it was going to be like an executive level person because yeah. those people are more behind the scenes, so they see a lot of stuff, and they're not in. They're not in the public eye, so exactly. I think they probably like the attention, and they want to no, say more. Right. You're right. Absolutely right. And the other thing too is that you know they haven't they haven't talked a lot. You know. Like if you look, I mean, I talked to a number of players in this book. You know, Julius Irving, George Gervin, um, Dan Issel. Trying to think who else. Um, you know, on and on. I mean, there there are a number of. I talked to like I think twenty Hall of Famers uh, for this book. But you know, and people people ask always ask like, oh, who was the best like the best player you spoke to? I said, well, the to me the best the best interviews are like a guy like Don, who is you know was you know, behind the scenes working for the NBA for like six or seven years or someone like, um, um, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, you know, someone like, um, I'm blanking on names here. Um, you know, Don Sperling, who's the NBA entertainment, you know, they're not, they they aren't talked to a lot and you're right. And they're, and they're going to have more to say because, you know, you could also, if you take an interest in somebody that goes a long way too, like if you're, if you if you mean if you if if I talk to somebody a couple of times and mean and and I ask good questions and I'm a good listener, that goes a long way. And the other thing too with the players is that you're right; they've been through this so many times, and they've been they, they've heard every question, or you know they've maybe you know maybe they, maybe they become um, hardened to this. You know, it's there's not much there's not much new that you can ask Julius Irving you know, or, or even Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. And the thing is, is that, you know, they've written books that you can use, you know, that yeah. they've told their stories. There's no, there's nothing, for the, there's nothing for them to gain. So you're right. Yeah. I, and that's why, honestly, when I listen to podcasts and I mean, I think players interviewing players, yes, that is great content to me. Cause mm-hmm. I think that obviously with the players, they trust each other. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it's like a podcaster has a player that's like in the league now, now maybe former players are a little bit easier and more fun to talk with, but obviously like there's loyalties and stuff that players cannot, you know, mess up. Uh, I, I'd rather listen to the executive executives behind the scene people because they have more to tell. And, and, you know, I think they have a little bit more leeway to say something without getting mm-hmm. scrutinized like a player would, you know, by, by their own, right. by their own, you know? You're so right. yeah, I I, I kind of had it. Uh, I kind of saw that you were gonna uh, say a uh, executive. That makes the most sense in the world. Yeah, no, and know? and again, they 
they have they have the most time because a lot of the, a lot of them are retired. They it, it it's 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 more it's more of a thrill for them I think because they have someone who's interested and wants wants to listen. And I and everyone I talked to I was like I was like down to talk. Um, and yeah, it, it's and also like that's the thing they've seen everything and they're not beholden to anybody. You know, it, it's that's the thing. Like you know, and I and that's the one thing if I can offer any any practical advice here if if you want to write a book or even a good story is like don't just talk to don't just talk to the person who owns the repair shop, talk to the mechanics. So like you get the best stories from the people that were, that were not part of that whole media brigade that are not part of the whole, that, that weren't that name, whose names weren't in bold print. And that's the thing, like the best story, the best interviews inevitably, inevitably were from those folks. They weren't from, and look, Julius Irving was a good interview. George Gervin was great. Dan Issel was fantastic. It's not a knock on the players, but you t- if you talk to the people that who were there, who who were you know in the conference in in the meetings, in the conference rooms, on the road trips, you will get you will your reporting and your stories will be so much richer in detail, and you'll have. It's just that's how that's how it works. You you have to you have to go for the people that aren't stars. You know, it's just that's just that's that's the only way I think you can get a, a good story good book whatever well everyone that is what you call grassroots journalism <laughs> just <laughs> straight to the point not glitz and glamour you know you got, that's the thing you know look it look it is fun to talk to look i'm not gonna lie it's fun it was fun to talk to dr j because you're talking to nba history it was fun to talk to elgin baylor and oscar robertson you're talking to nba history but you know but you know that as a fan that's great it's it's thrilling but like to 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 get to get work that readers are going to enjoy that, you know, that you're going to enjoy, like that's going to have you, that's going to make, make you want to have me on your podcast. You have to go beyond the, the stars and the celebrities and, and, and people like that, because nothing is built. It's, it's like a movie, you know, yes. Emma Stone's in this movie or, you know, yes, you know, uh, Tom Cruise is in this movie, but there are hundreds of people that make a movie, that make a movie go, that, that, that are responsible for, for what you see on screen or on, or, or in your living room. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. You're short, you're shortchanging the, your topic and you're shortchanging your readers. If you don't try and find as many of those, as many of those supporting players who you can as many of those people that aren't stars as you can. And in essence, that's what your book is about to me, you know, like, at least from, yeah. from what I'm reading, that's what's what it's about giving credit to where it's due, not just like the name on the bill. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope so. We were talking about glitz and glamor and, you know, we were talking about how NBA Twitter, hopefully it can get better. Um, You know, you're, your book kind of goes into like broadcasting and stuff like that. And this is a hot topic right now. It just seems like people are getting fed up with the NBA's TV product. Now, not the games, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the actual, like, hey, we're going to talk about basketball for 30 minutes before the game or 15 minutes in between the game and then like an hour after the game. And there are nights where like ESPN is throwing the towel and they give Jalen Rose like two good minutes to talk like real basketball like mm-hmm. stuff. And then the rest is like silly 
stuff like Paul Pierce is, you know, being silly, right? And and silly is good, but but also like there's silly and then there's like deterring people away from the product because you're I'm just gonna say it's shitting on the current product. You know, while trying to big up your era, which is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um and then of course there's Shaq like chastising these people on live television like and it's and it's awkward like some people it's entertaining to me it's kind of like well like for the younger generation that doesn't like really help them out like mm-hmm. like because you're not taking these guys serious and you're supposed to be a legend so these younger folks younger kids that are watching it they're like then why should i take this guy serious if shaq doesn't you know even though donovan mitchell is a, a fine player yeah he's not a superstar he's still an all-star he's still a fine player yeah you know the Christian Wood situation where Shaq didn't even know who he was. Like, I don't want to make this a Shaq thing, but I really feel that it's not just him. It's, it's, it's a lot of uh, NBA analysts nowadays. I've put the air quotation marks up that it's just bad for TV to me. I mean, I know some people find it entertaining, but I think the whole point of having these conversations is to, to bring the game forward, not backwards. And I think people like Candace Parker, as much as I hate to say this, cause I'm not a huge fan of his Dwayne Wade, like, yeah. People like that are like are teaching the game but also kind of being entertaining as well on the same front. Like like what is your opinion on the current landscape of like NBA broadcasting? That's a good question. You know, I think there has to be there has to be a change. Uh, I I think you you expressed it really well. The issue, you know, when Bart, when Charles Barkley came on TNT back in 2000, um, that was a big deal because again, he was a major, he was a major personality and he was also, and it still is, I think, extremely entertaining. I, but I agree with you. I do think that the, the, the era of like, let's bring in this superstar to sort of add some, some star appeal or sex appeal, whatever you want to call it. I don't think that really works anymore. I think that if you want to be, if I think the games right now, we're talking about this with Twitter and social media, they're already, that's the entertainment now. You know, that's the entertainment is to see what like Zach Harper has to say, or, uh, you know, or Russ Bankson, who's a a friend of mine, like all those, or or whoever, whoever your favorite personality is, or like, that's the entertainment. We're, We're getting that. You know, we're, we're, we're getting that from from following the game, from 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 what's streaming on our phone. So I absolutely agree with you. I think there needs to be, if you're going to bring in an analyst who's a who's a celebrity, that analyst needs to do more than just like crack wise or, um, you know, do a whole, well, in my day, it was, I think there needs to, there needs to be more analysis and more like, well, this, this is what happened in this play because... You know, player A set a screen, and player B was able to go around. I think there needs to be more that more of that because I think that that analysis doesn't translate very well to watching the game over on our phones or just you know. We I think we need more of of how this happened and and why it happened. And I think that's where someone like a Dwayne Wade comes in, a Candace Parker, because they can provide that analysis and i think minimally you can look i i'm i'm all for people being opinionated and for having um having uh you know a sense of humor but i think it needs to be informed 
So like if you're if you're Shaq, like you need to know the league from top to bottom. You need to sit and watch the games. You you can't just show up and be Shaq. Like I love Shaq. Everyone loves Shaq. But when you're I think when you're when you're in when you're in the position of being someone who's ta- paid to talk about basketball, like you need to you need to be prepared about the about about what you're about what about the product as, as simple as it gets and it, it's a little so yeah it, it's i'm a little miffed when you know i've watched the game i've been entertained on one side by watching the game maybe i've been entertained on a second side because of twitter and now i'm stumbling into into more of the same i want a little more analysis and i would love a little more opinion that's backed by Fact and as you said, not back, not backed by resentment that my era was better than this era, because that has, that argument has been going on since the beginning of time. You know, it, it, and that's the thing. You know, there's there. You know, back in the '80s and '90s, there are people that were bitching and moaning that, oh well, you know, this Jordan kid is 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 all right, but you should have seen Dr. J. You should have seen you should have seen Elgin Baylor. It, it, it that doesn't help anybody. I think you're right. You. I want to come out of the game, uh, out of these games, being um, educated, enlightened, and entertained a little bit. But I think the entertainment side maybe needs to be brought down a couple of notches. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love Chuck. I think he's great. I think he's funny as hell. But you know, but I, I, I do. I will say this that might be might be might, might be slightly controversial. I don't know what you think about this. I don't know what Shaq brings to that to that TNT show. You no, you're right. I mean, there was already I, Charles. Why do you need Shaq? Great. Cuz you had Kenny, you had Kenny who was who was great who who bring the analysis into it. You'd have you have Kenny's pictures and you know and and, and Ernie Ernie Johnson's a is a wonder is a wonderful straight man and just does his job flawlessly. And you had Chuck being Chuck. And now you bring Shaq into that. It's it's too many chefs in the kitchen and to me, that three that three man rotation was great, and I don't know. I, to me, like it, you know, I'm not sure why Turner signed him on. I think they just wanted more star power, and maybe there was a thought that, well, you know, if Charles gets bored, like we bring in Shaq. But it's too it's too many chefs in the kitchen, and I don't know. I mean, that's it's. I I'm not quite sure what Shaq's presence does to that lineup because I think I think it it skews it more toward frivolity and hijinks when maybe it could, maybe it could be a little bit more toward analysis and, and, you know, and, and education, but. So I'll tell you, Pete, I talked to, I mean, not everyone's like hardcore, like nerd listening to podcasts like me, basketball. I have casual basketball friends, like casual friends that are in the basketball, you know, and they're like, Oh, it's funny. It's just funny. And and then they're like, Oh, they're just messing around. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But like, you were talking about people getting paid millions of dollars to play basketball, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, Shaq making fun of Rudy Gobert because he can't average 20 points or whatever. But you can't even tell me like Christian Wood, like Christian Wood is like one of like one of the bigger, you know, names on the Houston Rockets right now. Like you can't even tell yeah. me who he is. I'm not gonna sit here and lie. I haven't watched a lot of Christian Wood games, but I know who he was when he was with Detroit. And but yeah. you're in the league. Like, you can't even tell me that. Like, at least with Charles Barkley, the who he played for. These are like end of the rotation guys, yeah. like guys that are almost out of the league. Shaq couldn't even say who Christian Wood was, and there's been more than that. And it's not even yeah. just about Shaq. I hate that I'm 
it's not even just about Shaq, but it's Shaq is the, the hot name right now with this because the stuff that he's saying and then honestly how Kenneth Parker addressed him uh, about when he was talking about lowering the rims. That's an idea that I heard 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Like It's just like, come on, dude. That's like years old opinions that he's trying to have right now. It, it's it's He's obviously, in one way, he does big up the new generation, but then he still like spits on them like in the same breath. So Yeah, I, the thing with Donovan Mitchell was just, I, I saw clips of that. It's just, come on. Like just, it's- Cringe. Yeah, it was cringeworthy. And, you know, again- we could go. We could go back. You know, if anyone knows their NBA history, or, or knows like some, or can go, or can go back a few like a dozen years or so. Like Shaq was a phenomenal player, but Shaq left so much on the table. Like Shaq was somebody who, you know, again, like if he, it, Jeff Perlman wrote a great book about the the Kobe Shaq Lakers three ring circus, and. In that book, I mean, yeah, teammates love Shaq, and he's the nicest guy, and he would do anything for you, and he's a phenomenal athlete. But in that book, a recurring theme was just like he didn't practice hard enough, like he didn't condition, he wasn't he wasn't into working out over the summers, like the free throw shooting, he could he could have been better at it, just didn't want just didn't want to. So anyone who's so if Shaq is criticizing Donovan Mitchell for not wanting it enough or not being at the, like the next level. You know, I remember, I, you know, that discussion with Shaq was happening like 15, 16 years ago. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. You can be an old school NBA fan and enjoy the current NBA and still want more and still, but not be, not be the grumpy old man about it. You know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think you, you can, you can be, you can be, you can have your disappointments and be like, well, this isn't good enough but you can still enjoy the game. You can still enjoy the current game. And I, I think with, with Shaq, you know, I don't want to become the crusty old guy. Like, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to become the back in my day guy. Nobody wants that. Cause it's, it's not fun. And also, as you said, you're pissing on the current product. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not as informed an NBA fan as, as many of your listeners. So I want to learn more. I want I want to be excited about what I'm, what I'm watching. So can you, so just make me excited. Like, you know, you can have your reservations, but like, Make me excited. Make me want to stick around for the, for the second game. Yeah, it's uh, like it's. I wasn't planning on spending that much time on Shag, but it's kind of hard to to get <laughs> around it, you know, because he is at the forefront right now of grumpy old men. Like it used to be Charles Barkley, and now Shaq like overshined them, you know. I don't know. I, I Shaq, like I think it's so funny with Shaq because he's such he's such an endearing personality, and he's one of those guys where everyone loves Shaq. Like I mean, that's the thing. If he. And just by just Shaq, not Shaquille O'Neal, just if you just he is somebody who is just a known. He's so known, and I, I you know, I, I, I can understand that's why he's there, and that's 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 why TNT wanted him. But I don't know. I, I, again, I, to me, that three man rotation of Kenny, Charles, and Ernie was phenomenal. Like that was the be- that was the best studio show I, I've I've ever seen. I, I mean, as a basketball fan, I loved it. Loved it, Pete. I got bad news for you. It was, I believe, last year they extended them for another five years. So we're going to see a lot of them. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. Look, you know, look, the game is still the game is still the game. So, like anybody who look, and that's the thing, you know, 
if someone, you know, if some if someone is is talking to you about like, oh yeah, you know, back in my day or back, pay them no mind. Like enjoy. That's the thing. Enjoy. Sit back and just enjoy the games because that's the thing. The MB most the the I'm not really a fan of any sports team anymore. Like follow the Sixers a little bit because I lived in Buck. I lived in uh, near Philly for a little bit. You know, follow the Knicks a little bit because you know old habits die hard. But one of the great joys of just being just sort of being a, like a basketball agnostic or an NBA, like polyglot, whatever you want to call me, is that you can just sit and just enjoy the games. Like you can just sit and enjoy like the athleticism and, and everything that you see in front of you. Like, I don't know. It's, I, I regret being, you know, being as a teenager, hating Michael Jordan so much that I didn't get a chance to really enjoy Michael Jordan. Right. And I don't want to make that mistake again. Like, I want to be able to turn my TV and see LeBron James bulldoze through people and spit spit uh, in Father Time's face. I want to enjoy that, and that's the cool thing about being just a just a general NBA fan is that you can just sit back and just take it all in. And you know, I I, I mean, I'm not gonna tell anyone how to how to who to root for, who not to root for, but that's that's worked wonders for me and. You know, I can, um, I don't know. Fandom is a, I mean, you're a Mavericks fan. Fandom, fandom's a hard beat. You know, it's a hard, it's hard to be, it's hard to be a fan. Oh, well, it's hard. So I'm also a writer and I'm a beat writer. And, and, you know, I've only, I've only been in the, well, the digital scrum, right? Because of quarantine, they are doing everything uh, via Zoom. Mm -hmm. I've only been in it once and you got to put your, even, and obviously my writing, you got to put your take your fan hat off. Now, obviously, it's going to show yeah. sometimes, but that's hard. I imagine like that's why I think a lot of writers nowadays, though, it seems like because you know uh, Will Bond from uh, PTI, yeah, uh, he he's like a big Bears guy, big Bulls yep. guy, big and he used to guy. used to kind of hide it, and then like years down the line, every year it seemed like he kept showing it more and mm-hmm. more of his his fandom. I think it's becoming more accepted, but at the same time, it's also, I don't want to say hurting the game, but like, like it's hard for some teams, like, I guess to look at certain writers and take them seriously. Cause they're like, Oh, you're fanboying out or whatever. Yeah. I don't it's know. A hard I mean, balance. Will, it's a hard balance. Will, yeah. It, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I, I've, I've noticed that too. I mean, Mina Kimes is, is a giant Seahawks fan. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, those are, I mean, those two examples come to mind. Um, oh, uh, Skip Bayless is a big Dallas Cowboys fan. The, the, you know, that's the thing. They're not, you know, but I find that's okay because they're not, they're not affiliated with a team. Like they're not covering a team. Like if Michael Wilbon was the was the Cubs beat reporter, that would be a problem. If Mina Kimes was was the Seahawks beat reporter for the you know for the Post Intelligencer, that would be a problem. A but point. they're but they're they're more they, they're more general. They, you know, you know, Mina is does stuff now for ESPN. You know, for the NFL coverage, and you know, she was writing, you know, big features for the magazine before she transitioned. So, like, I have no problem with that. I have a problem when like you're covering a team and you're a fan of that team. I, I don't. I don't think those two things can 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 mix. And you know, and and. It, that, that I don't know if that, I, I know if, I don't know if that problem has come up. Have you seen that problem where like you're with other you're with other like Mavericks riders and like there's clearly like a a fan in that in in your midst. Well, you know? yeah, and but the thing is, those people aren't they're not they're covering it, but they're 
they're like on blog sites. They're not covering it yeah. like in it. So it's a little different, right? Like nowadays, yeah. like like and like fan sided. Their whole thing is fan sided. Like yeah, absolutely. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of what they showcase. And and you know, I I wrote for them for a while, and I'm not saying not everybody. Like there are people that write for them that got um, media passes, but maybe this mm-hmm. is more so to to save the landscape of. Uh, teams trusting bloggers and whatnot, but not a lot of those Absolutely. people. And I know a lot of people that wrote really great pieces about the Mavs that didn't get any media passes because yeah. I think it's I mean, a stigma the of the fan sided thing. Yeah, I mean that's the thing too is that you know I mean I've you don't have to I mean that's that's the one cool thing about where we are now where it's so easy to it's you know we're doing this over over streaming right now we're streaming video and there are so many ways that you can reach people and cover and cover the game and not be at the game. But, you know, again, I, I just, it, there's always that, there's always that threat though of, you know, being lazy or if you're, again, if you're a fan, look, I have no problem with writing from the fans perspective, from, from a writer writing from a fan's perspective, if it is presented as a fan's perspective, that's fine by me. I have no problem with that. It, like Bill Simmons. Yeah, Simmons. I mean, Simmons is probably the best example. Is probably the best example of that, and you know, and, and I think a lot of people and a lot of bloggers are like that too. It, it's just, I think the issue that has come up is fans. That, you know, is it, just you know, fans not you know, is fans that get job that, that you know get press passes, kind of not knowing the limits of those press passes, and the and what the access is. I tell you what, uh, yeah. the one, the one little digital scrum I was into, cause it's hard. Like I, I've been talking with PR and PR is really nice and they're mm-hmm. transparent. They're like, Hey, like with, with the way that we're doing it now, there's so many people like I'm on the call with Ting McMahon from ESPN and Brad Townsend. Mm-hmm. that has been writing for Dallas morning news for quite some time. Like I'm on the call with some very prominent names. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. so it, it's understandable that uh, someone like me, that that's honestly like, nobody compared to a lot of these people like that you don't get all these opportunities. So if you have it, make the most of it. Right. Absolutely. And then unfortunately, like I, I said, I'm not going to interview coach Carla. I'm not going to ask him anything. Cause I already know he's rough around the edges, especially with new people. Mm-hmm. And there was a, I don't want to call him a newbie. He was on there a couple of times before me, apparently, but he asked a question and Rick Carlisle just straight up looked at him and said, are you new here? And he was just like going in, like you, if you, you better ask your colleagues, like, like, I don't talk about that stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, it, and maybe he was a fan. I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. I'm not aware of that guy, but it just shows you that how quickly fan, if you're a fan and you try to go into a professional world and you're not ready, they'll chew you out, chew you up and spit you out. That's why I like, don't go at it that way. Like, I, I mean, of course I'm, I'm, I don't come out like, um, I know everything because I don't. I come out humbly, hum, uh, you know, like a hum, like humbling person. But at the same time, it's like, okay, obviously I don't know everything here and I'm not going to be the writer that acts like I know everything. So I'm going to ask this in the most respectful way possible, but I'm not going to be an ass kisser about it. You yeah. Know? No, you have to go, you have to go in. I think when you write, when you write anything, when you cover anything, you have to go in as a clean slate. You have to, you have, you know, nothing. And the, 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 the thing that you, the thing that you can't do is you can't, you can't ask a question assuming that you know the answer to it, or you can't start working on something assuming you know all, I mean, you can have theories, but you want to be able to, you want to be able to be, I mean, for me, what works is coming as a clean slate is just, or, or rather being a vessel that wants to be filled. So 
and I, I don't know. I mean, I, that's the thing with, I don't know, with fans, you know, uh, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. We tend to think that we know everything. We, we, we tend to think that, well, we have, you know, we've seen it. We have the, we have the bird's eye view so we can, we can identify all these little things, but you, you don't cause you're not there. And, you know, I don't, I don't, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Do you think, do you think you'd want to be a, like a, would you want to, I mean, are you doing this full time? Like as a beat guy? Uh, so like, I'm honestly not with... full time. Uh, so I write for Def Pen, but okay. I, but for me to even get invited to the scrum, I was like, okay, I, I must be doing something right. If, if PR trusts me enough to get here. And, and it's something I want to keep doing. Cause yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've watched the team for a while and, and yes, I was a fan, but it's, I'm not one of those, I'm not, a, I'm a realistic fan. Like, so see, I'm from Dallas and the, and all these Cowboys fans, they, they think the Cowboys are going to win. Everything. I'm able to look at a situation, but like, you know what? It's okay to be excited, but don't, don't go in there with some crazy expectations. And that's how I am with my writing. Like, like when I, when I was able to get the invite, I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to get invited for the rest of the season, which is what happened. And I was yeah. able to take that as an adult and be like, Hey, Thank you for this opportunity. I'm going to keep working just as hard and show you that, you know, I belong. Unfortunately, I think COVID is most of the reason why, because obviously if I'm there in person, there's not as many people that are going to be able to be there unless you're like ESPN or like local. Because, I mean, there was a guy on there from Ireland that was on the call. (laughs) Yeah, no, no joke. No joke. That's crazy. So it's one of those things I'm just going to keep working at it. And and when hopefully – you know, the coronavirus tones down, we get enough vaccinations. They feel safe enough to open up media rooms and whatnot. I'll be sitting down getting roasted by Rick Carlisle in person. So, yeah. And that's, and that's like, that's how, that's how it goes. Like you're always, you're going to get burned. You got to stay humble. Yeah. I've got, I've been told no so many times. Yeah. That's okay. Nobody, nobody owes you anything. That's the thing. Nobody owes you, nobody owes you anything. And that's you know that's the thing there's you you know the no's only make you want to work harder and the no's also also make you find other avenues for a yes so you know with this book you know david stern wouldn't talk to me for the book which you know it's his choice and i tried so you know what you do you try and you try and call everyone that he was associated with or i try sorry i tried to call everyone who was associated with or i tried to just get people that were Worked for him, worked with him, knew him, and you know you tr- you try and find you try and find ways around. That makes you a better reporter. It makes you a better writer because you're able because because you're because you, you you're you're willing to work that much harder to get a story or to get something. And there there's there's some there's something to that because it, it doesn't because again like when you're in that situation again you're not you're not gonna it's you're not gonna be defeated. You're just gonna be like okay well. This one person said no. Well, I'm not going to give up, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to take this line down. I'm going to try this person again, or if not, I'm going to try and find someone who can give me the answer, or can tell me a story, or or give me something that'll make this story work. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know. Everyone, everyone starts from the same position, I think, and you know, you have to how you get to a certain level. Um, it varies, and sometimes you don't get to that certain level, but you know, you can at least you have fun along the way. Well, your book speaks to that perseverance to me. Like 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 I said, I've never talked to a, uh, an author of any sort like in this capacity. So I'm impressed that you were able to get this book off the ground. And, and I really hope that you, we have another book by you. 
uh, whether too. it be basketball or not, because <laughs> I, I like the way that you approached it because it came off as, yeah, anyone can read this book. They don't have to be a basketball fan to like this book because there's, I mean, political stuff in there. There's business stuff in there. There's just like, ooh, what do the kids say? There's tea in there. There's 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 gossip type <laughs> stuff. Like that's what the kids say is tea. Spilling the term the, tea, of the frog yeah. meme, you know? So well, I mean, uh, I, I <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Pete. I appreciate I appreciate that, man. No, thanks. I I do feel like this book is is as I've joked, like it's really a a, a business book or a a cultural history book with a lot of tall dudes, and that, that's kind of what this is. You know, I, I you know I grew up with two parents who love were lovely. They inspired a, they inspired a love of reading and writing in me, but they weren't sports fans. So like you know, so I kind of you know when I wrote this book. I wrote it with the idea that like they could read it and they would maybe enjoy it or get something out of it. And that's, that to me is like, you know, I, I've, I've said this many times, the best sports books aren't about sports. They're about, they're about, you know, they're about emotion. They're about business. They're about culture. They're not just about sports. And that's why I feel like I can, I feel like anyone can write can write about sports or or write a book about sports because sports is just a springboard to write about other things and it, it's you know it's it's a I don't know that that's that's how that's how I, that's how I I approached uh, that's how I approached this book and that's how I've, how I've approached um you know my career as a freelancer because yeah like because I'm a, I think I'm a lot like you you know I'm not really I'm not really on any NBA media credential list you know I'm not. I'm not a beat reporter. I've never covered an NBA team. I'm just somebody who uh, just was, again, really, I was, I'm driven by curiosity. I'm driven by, um, by what I don't know. And that serves, that serves, that has served me well. I mean, if, if I think if I'm genuine and I'm curious, that goes a long way. And I think that goes a long way for anybody who is, who wants to write about anything, whether it's politics or outdoors, whatever. You know, just if if you have if you have that that curiosity and that and that interest, you know, I think I think you'll be okay. So, Pete, uh, before we get out of here, I want to thank you again for coming on to the Culture Surfing Podcast. I, I mean, this was a wonderful conversation, and I well, I very you. much feel this is going to translate to the listeners. Um, please, before we get out of here, I want you to plug away. The platform is yours. Before I do my outros and all that jazz, please tell the people where they can buy your book and, and anything else you want to talk to us about. Certainly. I uh, appreciate that, Lance. No, thank you. Um, you can buy the book. I mean, your readers, readers, uh, your listeners can buy the book pretty much anywhere. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, pretty much any major um, brick and mortar uh, or online retailer. Uh, it's also available if at, you can get it from your local library. Um, I grew up with libraries. They made me the person I am today for better or for worse. Uh, you can also get, you know, also your independent bookstore should be able to get, get it. No problem. That's where I got mine. Um, let's see if you want a couple of things. If you want an autographed copy of the book, you can get one through Odyssey books in Ithaca, New York, go to odysseybookstore.com. That's O D Y S S E Y bookstore.com. Uh, you can call the store, email them, and request a, uh, a signed copy for an extra $5, and they'll ship it anywhere in the U.S. pretty much. Uh, also, um, as you can attest, uh, if you buy a copy of the book, um, show me proof. I will happily mail you a signed book plate. Um, I'll pretty much write anything that you want on it that isn't you know, profane or racist or derogatory. 
Um, yeah. So those are the three. Those are the I think the main. I think cover those things. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, ps. I'm sorry, not ps. At Pete Croato. That's P E T E C R O A. Two T's as in Thomas O. At Pete Croato. And yeah, I'm on there pretty frequently, and you know, happy to talk about anything, writing, my limited basketball knowledge, whatever. So, Pete, here at Culture Surfing, obviously we talk about basketball, and there's other things we talk about, mm-hmm. but uh, I've been reading a lot of your tweets, and it seems like there's something, there's a law that's about to be passed yeah. uh, to do with freelancing. Uh, before we get out of here, I'd, I'd like for you to tell our listeners about that. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Lance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been tweeting a lot about a piece of legislation that's in uh, currently under discussion in the Senate, the U.S. Senate, called the PRO Act. It's P-R-O-A-C-T, PRO Act. And um, the intent of the, of the legislation is admirable. It, it's basically, it basically was written to protect French uh, workers that are um, uh, disenfranchised, Uber drivers, delivery drivers, people like that. People that, people that weren't, aren't protected, that don't, that aren't allowed, that aren't allowed full-time benefits, um, it basically gives them the right to those benefits and also to a to also to unionize. However, this law throws the baby out with the bathwater because under this under the legislation, there's something called the ABC test, which basically which basically gives employ employers the right to hire you full time. Under that B prong, what it's it's the B prong of this test is very limited. Basically, what it does is is that if you if you if you are an employer and your organization and you're trying to hire somebody for your organization that has a like-minded industry, no, let me back up. Sorry, that was jumbled. Um, the ABC test, basically under the Pro Act as it is right now, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a writer, I would I couldn't work as a freelancer for a newspaper or a magazine because. The law, the the Pro Act would prohibit people from would, pro, would prohibit employers from hiring independent contractors to do a to do a job. So, for example, if if someone ran a photography business and wanted a freelance photographer, or someone was ran a ran a ran a law firm and needed a paralegal or a lawyer, they they had they would have to hire that person full time and give them benefits and things like that. Problem with that is, is that there are millions of people that are like me who are independent contractors who want to who want the freedom of working for themselves and have different clients and make a very good living doing that. Under the Pro Act, that would make that very very that would make that 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 would make that livelihood that flexibility very very hard to very very hard to enforce. Instead, I'd have to be hired I'd have to be hired as a full time employee, which I do not want. So instead of hiring me as a full time employee. That business may say, you know, we're not, we're gonna, we're gonna go in house, or we're not, we're gonna eliminate that work entirely. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a bit of a convoluted law, but what it, what it does is, it basically makes freelancing, in all of its forms, if not illegal, then extremely hard to, um, extremely hard to be relevant. Does that, does that make sense? No. It's, it's, so in essence, it was, it's a, it's a proposed law that. It's supposed to look out for yes. freelancers, but ultimately, it's going to sh- put a strain on a lot of people that can't get these full time jobs. Which obviously that's going to happen because companies can't afford to pay it's everybody. Exactly right. So, for example, if I if um 
So for example, yeah, now here's the thing. I'm all for unions. I'm all for workers that want to be full-time to get benefit. I'm, I'm all for that. But the way the law categorizes is extremely antiquated, and it also throws out the baby with the bathwater. So, and there are a lot of people that are, free, that are freelancers who are very happy doing that. They, they make six figures a year. They can afford health insurance. It fits into their lifestyle. It, they, they, maybe they're handicapped and they can't travel. Maybe they're elderly and they're, and, the, in, and they're more comfortable working from home. This law puts, puts that kind of work, that kind of flexibility in, in, in extreme jeopardy. So what a lot of freelance writers, photographers are, are, are saying is, are saying, are saying, look, you know, we're perfectly okay with protecting the rights of workers that don't, that don't feel French, that, that feel disenfranchised. We, we, de- we, we certainly want people to form unions, but change the law or change the categorization so that freelancers aren't suddenly out of work. So instead of the ABC test, we're looking to have the IRS test, which is an updated test, and it basically allows for more flexibility and it allows workers like myself, who are very happy in their environment, who make a good living doing this, who are able to who are able to be, who are able to become better spouses, parents, caretakers. It allows us to have that flexibility, keep our jobs, and contribute to society. So that's really that's really where where my objective to the law comes from. Yeah, because I I mean I've been reading some of your tweets, and that thing is that's been popping up a lot. And I and I yes. read that, and that was sounds alarming, you know. It, it's it almost is. like a, in my industry, where, where I my full time job I'm in the service industry, mm-hmm. and obviously minimum wage needs to be raised, right? It's been seven sure. twenty five mm-hmm. forever. However, if it's raised in my industry, they're talking about taking our tips away, and mm-hmm. it's not just the tips. It's it's not it's not the only thing. It's that we use those, uh, you know, they use the hourly or whatever for what we make, and then they'd be able to pay like people, but once you take our, our tips away, like it would mess up our hourly, our labor. Like, and I mean, hourly, like not just like us, but like, mm-hmm. like we wouldn't be able to have as many servers on. They would have to like, you know, take bartenders off the schedule, take right. servers off the schedule. Uh, maybe not have as many kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously inflation on, I, you'd be paying for a $20 burger. That's usually 10 bucks type right. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, that's like that's like your like your thing is kind of similar to what we're going through right now. That if they raise raise the minimum wage, but also take away the tips, it could definitely I don't want to say kill our industry, but hinder it and make make it to where a lot of people that will end up working at these jobs that are usually really good at their jobs, it would be I don't want to say bottom of the barrel, but people that are not necessarily good at that job. Yeah, that, so. that, that's look. That's the thing. You, you know, flexibility. That's really what I'm. I'm most concerned is I want the ability. I want the ability for you, for for me, whomever, to work the job that they want to work. And some people are very happy working a full time job with benefits and all the things that come with it. Other people, like myself, are more comfortable as independent contractors. And here's the thing: I work in Ithaca, New York. I don't work in New York City. I don't work in Los Angeles. I can't. Go, I can't go down the street and get a full time job at a newspaper or a magazine or a website. Those jobs aren't there. So this, 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 as being an independent contractor, freelance writer, whatever you want to call me, that gives me flexibility to be there for my daughter, gives me flexibility to help my wife out because she has a job that takes up a lot of time. I'm able to write for a bunch of different outlets that pay very well. 
it, it is it is it's a major concern and there is a precedent for this for and especially in the service industry i mean this affects everyone if you go, if you look up ab5 that's a as an apple b as in boy 5 that was a law that was passed in california that is very much modeled which in which the pro act is very much modeled after and that was an unmitigated disaster it had to be revised and amended repeatedly so this simply does not work. And again, I have nothing, I have no problem with unions. I have no problem with people organizing to get the rights that they deserve and the benefits they deserve. But again, this is very much a throw the baby with the bathwater piece of legislation because you are, you are maybe, you might be strengthening the unions, but you're also taking away the buying power, the live and, and frankly, the livelihoods of close to 60 million people who consider themselves to be independent contractors and who, you know, again, own houses like I do and make good, make a good salary like I do. And, you know, who are gonna, and who again are, are living happy, fulfilling, successful lives. And yeah, I, so I'm very much against the pro act. Um, it just needs to be, it just needs to be revised and made more inclusive. Um, you know, again, this is something everyone can, I think everyone can win with this. But it just it just needs to, we just need to it just needs to be amended in a few small significant ways and then I can be happy and then you know I can keep doing what I'm doing for the next however many years. And folks, that's culture surfing in a nutshell. Okay, we talk about everything on the court, but also off the court and stuff surrounding the culture of basketball. It's deeper than just someone dribbling a ball. There's there's <laughs> things that go into it. the people that write about it, the relay the stories to you, the music that you know basketball and you know hip-hop kind of coincide it's it's it, it's all symmetrical to me and and that's why uh pete i'm glad that you were able to come here today i really hope maybe we could talk again soon i uh, i look forward Absolutely. to finishing your book uh it's it's a very wonderful read so far oh so, thank you yeah I thank think, you so i think much. you enjoy the rest i mean it's, it's i think it goes along what has you expect i mean spoiler 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 alert, the nba turns out okay so yeah it's yeah, <laughs> we're here talking today, so something must have happened. Uh, yeah, so we're 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 good. Um, no, Lance, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, would love to come back and do this again if um, if you'll have me. Um, of you, course, you know, you know how to reach me. Somewhere down the line, everybody, remember uh, we are on Apple, we're on Spotify. Like, share, subscribe. Although now Twitter seems to be uh, the po- uh, Apple seems to be going with the. Follow instead of subscribe because it so for some reason they think everyone thinks subscribe means pay. So please follow us. If you like something about us, let us know. If you don't like something about us, let us know. Either way, just write and review and we very much appreciate it. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you.